everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Hey, it's amateur athletics, but wait till you hear the kind of money that the University of Texas is getting from ESPN for signing a new TV deal with them. It will blow your mind. That's coming up in our headline segment next. In segment three, I got to tell you, I've been in the PR business a long time. I've run a number of press conferences Three of the most bizarre press conferences I have ever heard and seen this week in the world of sports. We're going to break those down for you with plenty of audio in segment three. And then in segment four, John Wartime. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's the co-author of a new book called Scorecasting, the hidden influences behind how sports are played and games are won. John has been on this show before. He's going to join us to discuss his new book and kind of dispel some of the myths that exist in the sports world. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports blogger. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Look for the icons on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm at SB Radio on Twitter. I am really excited about Championship Sunday in the NFL. Enormous TV numbers from the divisional games last week, and we'll give you those coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR, back with more after this. Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio Headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, NFL ratings continue to set records. Griggs, Jets, Patriots, last Sunday, 53 million people at one point in the game were tuned in. That's one in every six Americans were sitting, watching that game, highest rated divisional game since 1987. So we talked about wild card weekend being the most wild, most watched wild card weekend ever. It was really the trend continuing this week with the divisional games. And if you look ahead to the conference championship games on Sunday, Steelers and Jets and Packers and Bears, you've got to think that those ratings are going to continue. Those are two big matchups, well-known teams, big markets. You know, I'm wondering, I was trying to figure out all week, if you're the NFL, what's your dream Super Bowl matchup? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Pittsburgh and, and the Packers would be pretty hot for Super Bowl. See, but I think the Jets, because they're in the number yeah, one media true. market, it's amazing to me, talking to people this week, how many casual fans have followed the Jets this year because of HBO's Hard Knocks, and because they really fell in love with that team following them on that series. It's just amazing what uh, that show did for the brand of the Jets. So, yeah, I was trying to think. I think they want the Jets in there. And then, you know, the Bears, number three media market in the country, Jets, Bears, or do you want Jets, Packers? Packers, such a well-known brand. Aaron Rodgers, a little bit more media-friendly than someone like Jay Cutler. However you slice it, the NFL can't lose. The Super Bowl is on Fox. They're nearly sold out of all of their commercials. And... Uh, you know, it's just amazing to see what kind of numbers are being generated on TV for the NFL playoffs. All right, our next headline, we talk all the time on the show about amateur athletics. Okay, the University of Texas signed a 20-year, $300 million deal with ESPN this week to create the Longhorn Network. They're going to get $15 million a year. There's going to be $400 million in production value devoted from ESPN to creating content on this network. Griggs, what about that deal, says Amateur? Wow. I mean, first of all, 20 years. That's a huge deal to sign. But uh, yeah, Amateur, I think you're going to have everything on that network. I mean, lacrosse. You're going to have every sport, anything. Oh, you're going to have women swimming. You're yeah. going to have rowing. I mean, you know, they'll probably show the 2006 Rose Bowl where the Longhorns won the championship in football by yep. beating USC three mm -hmm. times a day. So, yeah, it, there's going to be a lot of programming on there. But the, the numbers for a network like this, this is just a school. This isn't a conference. And if I'm Larry Scott from the Pac-10 and I look at these numbers... I go, hey, if Texas by themselves got 20 years, $300 million, what can I get for our entire Pac-10 conference? Because that deal is coming up. And one final note on this, again, this is amateur athletics. The Longhorns budget, the athletic department, for 2010-2011, $137 million. So, you know, I know there's a lot of athletic departments losing money, Texas, not one of them.
Our next headline, I like this story. I'm one of the dummies when it comes to trying to figure out the point system in NASCAR. I can't figure it out. It's too complicated for me, and I'm not someone who watches a lot of NASCAR. So NASCAR is trying to dummy it down for the casual fan like me, and they're talking about adopting a 43-to-1 point system. So if you win a race, if there's 43 cars in a race, and you win, you get 43 points. If you finish second, 42, and so on and so on, ending with the car that finishes last, one point. I think a lot of people can follow that much easier than the current system. It dummies it down. I think it uh, will make for closer finishes at the end of the year with the point system. And NASCAR needs something, because if you look at the last five, six, seven years, their TV ratings are trending downward. They need to draw in the casual fan. And one of the obstacles has been trying to understand this point system. This is a great, great idea. And I'm kind of like you. I, I, liked, I want to get into it, but it is hard to follow and hard to figure out the point system. This is going to help them because it's easier for you and me, the casual fan, to get into it and to follow. It's a great idea. The last headline of the week, and this is one that we will follow closely, uh, could wind up being confirmed at the end of the month. And we'll have to break this deal down because it's very, very complicated. But the FCC is expected to vote in favor of the Comcast NBC Universal merger. Uh, it'll be approved four to one. And then, you know, this is going to affect all kinds of Comcast sports nets and obviously NBC. So, sports coverage as we know it could change drastically because of this deal. We'll try and break this down with uh, probably our friend John Aurend from the Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal on a future show. All right, coming up in our next segment, three of the most bizarre press conferences I've ever seen. And I run press conferences for sports organizations and athletes for a living. Three guys this week that did some things and said some things in press conferences unlike anything I've ever seen before. We've got the audio, and I've got the names coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stick around. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports 
in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, as I've mentioned to you before, when I'm not hosting this show, I am a PR executive, and I've run many press conferences in my time. I used to work for the Blazers. I've done projects for Nike. I've done press conferences for everyone from Phil Knight to LeBron James to Lance Armstrong. There were three of the strangest press conferences held this week that I've seen in a long time, Griggs. The first one, earlier in the week, was with 81-year-old Al Davis, the eccentric owner of the Oakland Raiders. Now, most of the time, when you're doing press conferences, the people doing the press conferences will, you know, they'll talk for 10, 15 minutes, and then maybe at the end they'll take some questions, either from the pool of reporters, or they'll go off to the side. Al Davis's press conference lasted 100 minutes. Griggs. I've never heard of a press conference in my life lasting that long. Al Davis rambled on about former coach Tom Cable, about quarterback Jamarcus Russell, former head coach Lane Kiffin. I mean, it it was just the most bizarre press conference that you've ever watched. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. But here was a soundbite, just to show you kind of how out in left field Al Davis is. This is Al Davis talking about Cam Newton, who's going to be coming into the NFL this next year. He's declared for the draft. Cam Newton is the quarterback for Auburn, and they were the national champions this year. When Jason Campbell played for Auburn, he was 13-0. I want you to all check it out with all your, a lot of you have uh, scouts and this, who the better player was coming out of college, Jason Campbell or Kim Newton? Kim Newton. Griggs, did you know that, that Newton changed his name to Kim in the last week? <laughs> Apparently, that's, uh, that's news to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, and I don't want to sound insensitive here. Al Davis has done some great things for the AFL, the NFL. The Raiders were a once-proud organization a long time ago. But if you've listened to this show for the last seven years, I have said, especially for the last few, it is time to take the keys away from Al Davis to the Oakland Raiders. This guy is running a once-proud franchise into the ground. It was never more apparent than it was this week with a two-hour rambling press conference where he made comments like that that made you just think, this is the guy that's in control of this organization. And if you know anything about the Raiders, really, it is a dictatorship. It's Al Davis, and he changes coaches all the time. Um, No one in that organization really has any power. They used to have a rule where the PR person changed like every other week, so you didn't know who to contact if you wanted to, you know, talk to a player or an executive or a coach. And, you know, it's kind of uh, chaos by design for Al Davis. And I just think if you're Roger Goodell, at what point do you say, okay, Al Davis, you had your, your good days, but now, I mean, you're an embarrassment to this league. Yeah, it was funny. After listening to some other other the clips that he did there, it was it was kind of like you picture a guy by himself talking to himself. I mean, it felt like he was just kind of just rambling everything he could think of. He was talking about it. it. Like, no one was even there. Well, and again, 
It is unheard of. I have never in my life, whether it's sports, entertainment, politics, heard of a press conference that lasts almost two hours. I mean, most of these people are on deadline. <laughs> I would imagine at the end of the press conference, like you said, it was like crickets. He was probably just, you know, but it is priceless for the people who want to watch on YouTube or uh, pull the sound bites like we just did. All right. Another press conference this week took place on Wednesday. We all have followed the mellow drama. Carmelo Anthony, is he going to be traded from the Nuggets? He won't sign that $65 million extension with the Nuggets. He said he's not sure he wants to play in Denver. Lots of conversations between the Nuggets, the Nets, the Pistons that would land Carmelo in New Jersey. And it sounded like about 11 days ago that a deal had been consummated that would end up sending Carmelo Anthony to New Jersey. But Denver has repeatedly gotten cold feet. Carmelo Anthony was not willing to meet with Prokhorov until recently. And the Russian billionaire, who by many people has been compared to to James Bond, he's a man of mystery. And, you know, he's got all these harems of women and he's got boats and yachts and weapons and, you know, all these things that he's done over in Russia. There was all that written about him when he purchased the Nets. Well, he had a press conference. And again, you know, not many owners have press conferences besides, you know, your your Mark Cubans and your Jerry Jones. There's a lot of owners that really stay behind the scenes. So here's another owner this week that called a press conference and it was kind of a bombshell. Here's what Mikhail Prokhorov had to say at his press conference. The management of the team uh, did a great job. But uh, there comes a time when the price is simply too expensive. I'm instructing our team to walk away from the deal. And the meeting, which was to, supposed to be held uh, by our management uh, tomorrow in Denver with Carmela, is hereby canceled. Griggs, you halfway think that, you know, following that press conference, Prokhorov's going to send some hitmen out to, to take care of some people. I mean, it's like, you know, you want to have the Godfather music as he's exiting the stage. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, Prokhorov has called <laughs> off the deal. And there were even reports that Billy King, the GM of the Nets, who had been involved in these trade discussions, when he sat down for that press conference, he didn't know that Prokhorov was going to sit down and announce that the plug was being pulled on this deal. So it was even kind of a shock to him, according to some reports. Prokhorov, you know, you can say what you want, but this is a business show. And one of the prime uh, rules in business is when you're making a deal, when you're negotiating, you've got to be willing to step away and ultimately walk away from a deal. And if you're not, then you really have no leverage. I mean, it's like, you know, if you go to your, go with your wife to the used car lot, and you say, okay, honey, look, let's play this cool. You know, don't show them how much you want that car. We're going to play a little negotiating with the, the car salesman. And your wife walks onto the lot and she just gushes about the car and shows how much she wants it. You've got no negotiating power after that. And with this scenario, for Prokhorov, if he doesn't walk away from the table, and say, look, we're not going to be pawns in this game anymore, we're not going to let Denver continue to change their mind over and over and over again, then they're going to continue to do it. There are some people that said, look, he just did this because he was being spurned by the Nuggets. He knew that Carmelo wasn't going to meet with them, so instead of being embarrassed, he just walked away from the table. 
Look, I think everyone has their price. And for Prokhorov, he didn't want to take on a bad contract like an Al Harrington or someone like that in this deal. And that's what Denver was trying to do. They increased the price every single time they thought they had a deal. So he was saying, enough. And I give him credit for that. And frankly, in this day and age, yes, the Carmelo Anthony, very important to the franchise, a top 10 player, but everyone has a price. All right, the last soundbite is Brian Cashman, the general manager of the New York Yankees this week, had a press conference with Rafael Soriano, who led the majors in saves last year, 48 saves with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees signed him to be their eighth inning setup man to Mariano Rivera, and ultimately, I think, replace Rivera. They gave him $11 million to be a setup guy. And there were some people that raised eyebrows. As it turns out, one of those people was Brian Cashman himself. Listen. Well, I didn't recommend it. Um, not because uh, I dispute the ability of the players. Uh, he's obviously you know, a tremendous player in what he does. Um, this certainly will help us you know, try to win a championship. There's no doubt about that. So that's that's in the plus column. There's no doubt about it. But I didn't recommend it just because um, I just didn't think it was an efficient way to allocate the remaining resources we have. Um, and you know, we had a lot of debate about that. Um, you know, like everything that's available in the free agent market uh, and trade market, you discuss all of it. Uh, you make your recommendations to ownership, and then they they you know choose to, what direction they prefer to go to given the circumstances. I you know my plan would be patience and waiting. Um, they obviously acted, uh, and we are better. There's no doubt about it. So it's not a dispute over the player whatsoever. He's going to help us. We are better with Soriano. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's all the other stuff. Wrapped around the deal, the money, the you know that type of thing, uh, allocating you know closer type money to an eighth inning situation, those types of things. Awkward, Griggs. Imagine this: Brian Cashman sitting next to his new eighth inning setup man at the press conference, Rafael Soriano, and saying about the guy sitting next to him, "I did not recommend this to ownership," and basically throwing the Steinbrenners under the bus, saying, "Look." They're the ones who wanted to get this done at the end of the day. They're the ones who wanted to pay $11 million to a setup man. I didn't recommend this. If you're Soriano, assuming he understands English, <laughs> you're, are you sitting here kind of going, uh, thanks, I think? Yeah, very weird, very odd, and not the right time. I mean, why would he say that? In a press conference like that, where everybody's there. It's almost like he wants to get fired. Yeah. I mean, there were reports after this press conference, does Cashman want to get fired? Is he that fed up with the Yankees and the new sheriffs in town? We all know George Steinbrenner has passed, and Cashman has lost power in that organization. And I think he's so frustrated that he's outvoted by the Steinbrenners all the time and by Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, that that was him kind of saying, you know what? Hey, I'm going out of blazing. And if you want to fire me, I'll go to another team. I will have more power. I'll be the number two guy right under the owner. And I'm not putting up with this anymore. You pay me to make decisions and to build this roster. And then you overrule me and you pay a setup man $11 million a year. 
Those were three very interesting press conferences, and I don't know that we'll see a week with three more bizarre press conferences again. All right, coming up next, John Wartime. He is the co-author of a new book called Scorecasting, the hidden influences behind how sports are played and games are won. He's also a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, a good friend of the show. John Wartime coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is John Wartime. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's joined us on the show before. He's got a new book out. It's called Scorecasting, The Hidden Influences Behind How Sports Are Played and Games Are Won. Really dispels a lot of myths that a lot of us believe from the world of sports. John, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Oh, good to be here. Anytime, Brian. So, really fascinating read. I mean, this book has kind of been compared to Freakonomics, and it's a very analytical book. It looks at a lot of different things. I love the chapter on Tiger Woods. I play golf, and I I liked how you broke down how golfers putt when they're putting for birdie, par, and bogey, and the different mindset. And when I read that, I was like, that's me. And you're telling me that Tiger Woods is looking at putts the same way I am if he's going to gain a stroke, break even on a stroke, or lose a stroke. Let's start there, and then we'll get into some of the other myths that you dispel in the book. Um, yeah, that was, that was a good one. That's, uh, we basically looked at a phenomenon called loss aversion, which we see in business all the time. I mean, it's basically the principle that you hate losing a dollar more than you like winning a dollar. So we see this in business all the time, where... You know, the, the gains you get from selling your house, for example, um, you know, are, are not, you don't get the same level of satisfaction as you get from loss. And so, you know, pe- people, it's one of these things where for a diet, for example, they, they had this thing where if you gained a pound, you had to pay $100. If you lost a pound, you got $100. And what they found is that one was very effective. People did everything they could to avoid the penalty. But the reward was less of an incentive, which, which in a way doesn't make sense. I mean, you figure 100 bucks, you know, plus is 100 bucks minus. But they found out that the threat of a penalty was much better motivator than sort of the promise of a reward. And we looked at golf. Um, a, n- a number of studies sort of be- before us found this with Tiger Woods, but we looked at it in all sports. And basically, what we found is that when athletes are faced with a penalty, they are much more intense. They're they're they end up sort of concentrating their efforts and doing better than when it's a reward. So in golf. 
identical putts. One of them is for birdie, which, hey, is great. You, you're getting a stroke. The other one is for par. Well, you miss that par putt, and then, then you're in trouble. I mean, then you're sort of taking, uh, you know, then, then you got to stroke off. And even a golfer like Tiger Woods sizes up those two identical putts differently based on whether it's a par putt or uh, a putt for birdie. And in a way, it sort of doesn't make sense. I mean, the goal of golf, obviously, you get the low score after 18 holes, and it shouldn't matter, hole to hole. But even Tiger Woods perceives putt A much different than putt B based on the situation, even when they're the identical putt. You know, the other thing that I thought was interesting was home field advantage in sports. And you go back, I think it was 90 years, and it looks like what you conclude is that home field advantage, it, it does matter, but maybe not as, as much as we thought it did. I mean, John, I'm watching the NFL playoffs, and the road teams are faring quite well <laughs> In the NFL playoffs, look at the Jets, the Packers. Um, it's interesting to see the trends, but it sounds like what you say is over a long period of time, home field advantage, it does matter. Yeah, I mean, the home field advantage is no myth. And what we found is that it's remarkably constant uh, over time and, and sort of sport to sport, that the Japanese Baseball League has almost the identical home field advantage as MLB, that WNBA home field advantage, almost the exact same as, as the NBA. And it's been this way for decades. I mean, the home field advantage in baseball is virtually the same as it was in the 20s. Um, so, I mean, in, in that sense, it's no myth. I mean, there's definitely the majority of times the home team is going to win. Um, you're right, though. This, uh, this NFL postseason notwithstanding. But, uh, but no, overall, the home, team, the home field advantage very much exists. So the next thing we did was sort of looked at why. And I think to most fans, I mean, that's part of the book is we just kind of talked about what are two guys at the bar, you know, what, what do you and I talk about when we get together? Um, and I think if you ask two you know, you ask some sports fans, I think they would say that home field advantage exists because, you know, you're at home, you're pumped up, the crowd's cheering you, they're booing the other guys. And we sort of looked at that as best we could and tried to isolate, sort of try to isolate variables. And we found out that athletes really don't perform worse on the road. They shoot free throws the same. NFL passing rankings, ironically, are even higher for road quarterbacks and home quarterbacks. When we think of the crowd sort of, you know, yelling and the quarterback's got to call an audible at the line of scrimmage because, you know, the rest of his teammates can't hear him. But quarterbacks actually do better on the road. And we didn't really find much evidence that performance goes down when you've got a bunch of fans cheering the other guys and booing you. Um, so then we sort of looked at travel. Maybe uh, teams do badly on the road because they're tired or they've – you know, they're not sleeping in their own beds. But, you know, again, it hasn't changed much over the years, and travel's gotten so much better, so that doesn't seem to work. And also, when teams don't have to travel far for a road game, you know, when there's interleague baseball and the Dodgers play the Angels or the Cubs play the White Sox or, you know, a football game like, you know, say the uh, you know, 49ers, Raiders, or the Ravens, Redskins, where there's not much travel, um, the rate doesn't really change. So... That doesn't really stand to reason then that it's travel causing this. And we sort of went through a number of other, um, you know, we sort of went through another other, you know, sort of explanations. And what we ended up finding was the one thing that was crazy was the way games are officiated. Home teams get the majority of the strike calls. Home teams get, you know, the majority of the, the calls in the NFL. Once there was instant replay, that went way down. But before instant replay, home team got way more calls. And basically what we concluded is, Across sports, it's really the officials that are 
causing this home field advantage. Yeah, I love the quote that's in your press materials from Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. He says, I love this book. If I told you why, the NBA would find me again. What is most disappointing, if this book had been written years ago, I could have just handed it to the NBA rather than getting fined all those times. (laughs) I mean, that's a great quote because, you know, for years, Cuban has talked about officiating and he's talked about it, you know, on the home court and how the calls at home are different than they are on the road, and it sounds like you guys are drawing some of the same conclusions that, uh, I guess, give people at home the, the advantage. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of one of these Moneyball-type things where not that long ago you'd sit at the bar and you'd debate this, but now there's actually data, there's video, we can sort of uh, look at the numbers and run some of these models, and what people once sort of speculated based on gut, you can now really kind of uh, prove mathematically, and that's basically, uh, you know, that's that's basically what we have. Well, what we did the um, in baseball for in baseball, for example, this pitch FX technology was a huge guy that we were able to really see objectively whether balls and strikes were called the same way. Whereas, you know, even ten years ago, you might have these. You know, Cuban bought the team, I think, in uh, you know in, in two thousand. I mean, he could sort of speculate about a lot of this, but um, you know, now you can really support it with data. We're joined by John Wartime. He is the co-author of a new book out called Scorecasting. It's in bookstores January 25th. Go to scorecasting.com if you want to read about the book and pre-order your copy today. Something else that you write about in this book that I thought was really brilliant and something not enough people talk about. The NFL Draft. And we'll see if this changes with the new CBA. But the way the draft has been set up, you point out it's better in some cases for a team to have the number 32 pick than it is to have the number one pick. And you talk about the example with the trade between the Giants and the Chargers, Eli Manning, when he was traded from the Chargers to the Giants. And in return, the Chargers got... Philip Rivers, Sean Merriman, and some other picks. And I've said for a long time on the show, as have others, that if you've got to pay $50 million to the number one pick, a Sam Bradford or an Eli Manning or something like that, it really hamstrings your organization. And if you look at what Bill Belichick has done over the years with the Patriots, he loves to stockpile second and third and fourth round picks rather than have a pick in the top 10. And a lot of times he'll trade out of that spot if he's ever in that spot. So I thought that chapter was really well done. No, thanks. We, I mean, we had a, some of our analysis says if you get that top pick, I mean, you imagine the fans would kill you, but if you had that top pick, you're better off just passing. You're better off literally, you know, Commissioner Goodell calls your name, you go up there and you go up to the podium and you say pass. Because best case scenario is you get a great player, but you're going to pay through the nose. You know, you, you get a Porsche, but you pay Porsche prices. The worst case scenario is you get Ryan Leaf, you get a bust, and you pay through the nose. You're much better off going down there or trading your picks down and getting multiple draws, you know, getting, say, you know, four second-round picks instead of the top two pick. Um, but you're going to pay a lot less. The drop-off in talent isn't going to be that much. And you're, you're sort of guarding yourself. I mean, nobody obviously would do that. But there are no, there are no steals with the top pick in the draft. I mean, be, best-case scenario is it works out for you. You know, you, you get Mark Santa, you, you get a Bradford, you get – you know, you, you get that Peyton Manning, but you're paying Peyton Manning prices. The potential to pay Peyton Manning prices and get a Ryan Leaf are, are there too. So, you know, mathematically, I can, if this were, you know, if this were a business, they would really give some long hard thought, I think, to just passing that pick altogether. John, 
why did you write this book? I mean, you've written several books. This was kind of different than anything that you've written before. Uh, why did you write this book? And, and you wrote it with uh, Tobias Moskowitz. And uh, how did you guys get together? Uh, it's funny. We, we've actually been, we grew up together in Indiana. He's now a uh, professor of University of Chicago, actually a colleague of, of Steve Levitt, who wrote Freakonomics. Um, and we, we grew up together and, you know, same age, a couple of kids from Indiana and sort of stayed in touch. And, you know, basically we get together and these are the kind of things that sports fans talk about and wonder about. And we just, you know, at one point we're a couple of years ago sitting down and having, you know, typical two guys talking sports conversation and said, you know what, why don't we try and do something with this? We we don't know all the answers, but we sort of could have fun looking for it. And, you know, I sort of had the, the writing and the sports contacts, and he had the, the economic background. And so, you know, just, just basically a couple of buddies uh, who, who have an interest in this stuff sort of playing around with the numbers. And it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, as you said, it was a lot different from other books I've done, but it was a lot of fun working with a friend. And we, we think some of the conclusions we, we, we were able to find were, uh, you know, are, are pretty neat. And, again, it's, a, it's the kind of stuff that – Every sports fan's probably talked about one time or another when they're sitting there with their friends or when they're watching a game on TV. So obviously you did a ton of research for this book. What was the most surprising thing that you uncovered? Um, I mean, I, I got to say, I, I think the home field advantage is pretty striking. That when you look at the, the way different games are called differently based on where it's played, that ball, the strike zone changes completely based on where the game is played. I mean, this is true across sports yellow cards and red cards and soccer. You know, we found that if the, if the crowd is bigger, the disparity is bigger. If the crowd's smaller, the disparity is smaller. If you move the crowd back, you know, in, in European soccer and football, they have that moat now between the crowd and the field. They didn't used to have that, so the officials could hear all the, the names being shouted. Well, once they put that moat in dividing the fans, putting them back away from the field, the bias went down. So, we, I mean, we think the data is really strong that – it's officials that are really determining this home field advantage. And, you know, I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, if, uh, even if it's subconscious, you know, 70,000 people yelling to you about, uh, you know, your, your kid and you're ugly and they're cheer. I mean, even if it's very subconscious, I mean, it's completely understandable. But um, we, we've often sort of speculated that home teams get, you know, home cooking. But, um, I mean, I don't, think, I don't know if anyone's ever sort of made the, the empirical case that we were able to make. We're going to see this weekend in the NFC Championship game and probably the AFC Championships, uh, very cold weather. What did you find about weather as it relates to games? Because we hear all the time, hey, you know, if the San Diego Chargers have to go to Pittsburgh or New York or somewhere like that and play a cold game, they're used to playing in warm California weather. They've got no chance in this game. What did you find about weather? That's good. I'm glad you brought that up. Because we found, I mean, obviously it doesn't really apply in, uh, you know, in basketball and hockey. Um, and even in baseball to some extent. But, you know, in football, we, we looked at that, and we found surprisingly little evidence that when, you know, the frozen tundra of Green Bay and the teams from, you know, when the Dolphins or the Chargers go to Buffalo or Miami, they're really going to feel it. And, you know, we looked at the numbers, and we really didn't see that climate plays a huge role. We were able to look, you know, we looked at dome stadiums where there shouldn't be any climate advantage one way or the other, sort of as the placebo. And we found out that, you know, the warm weather teams don't do any better in domes than they do in cold fields, and the cold fields teams don't do any better in domes than they do in warm weather fields. And basically we found that uh, it's not nearly the advantage that, that people, you know, if you listen to uh, NFL films, you think every game in Green Bay was won because one <laughs> team was used to the snow and the other wasn't. But we, we really didn't find a whole lot of evidence that weather plays a big difference. 
So as uh, the author of this book now, are you going to have people coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, score casting, you can predict the future. You've got all these great trends. I'm a gambler. Tell me who's going to win this game. Uh, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because uh, candidly, one of sort of the marketing decisions was how much we make this uh, appealing to the, to the sports gambler. Um, you know, I, I know. I mean, it's, it's sort of like Moneyball. Where look, we're, no one's going to be able to uh, predict the Super Bowl winner. I mean, no, no one's you know, no one's really uh, a soothsayer here. But it's just little things that you can do to tilt the odds in your favor a little bit. Um, you know, I, we we sort of use the Moneyball analogy where you know Billy Bean's not going to necessarily win the World Series because he's got these metrics, but they sure don't hurt. Um, and so, you know, what we found so far is not that people are. Uh, coming to us saying who's going to win the Super Bowl and are they going to beat the point spread. But people are coming to us and saying, hey, you know, why don't you guys look at midseason call-ups in baseball or why don't you guys look at whether guys in the last year of their contract year really put up artificial numbers. That people, you know, again, these are just kind of the discussion topics that anyone who follows sports has thought about or talked about from time to time. So we're getting, you know, with, with any luck there's a sequel. We're certainly getting bombarded with uh, with ideas that people would like to see us look at next. The other chapter people have to read in this book is, does offense win championships? Or, you know, does defense win championships? And I thought that was a really interesting read. You had some great examples, especially in the NFL, with uh, the Colts when they won in 2006, with the Ravens when they won, who had, I think, the 19th-ranked offense and the number one-ranked defense. So uh, a lot of myths about offense and defense. You hear in the NFL all the time, defense wins championships. Well, it's not always the case, so I thought that was an interesting chapter as well. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing where I think, you know, you've had, obviously, you know, any, anyone that's played, you know, sixth, sixth grade youth sport, you know, everyone sort of heard the cliche that defense wins championships. But, um, you know, the, the data doesn't necessarily support that. I mean, basically, you need either a really good defense or a really good offense. If you have both, that's even better. But, you know, through the years and over the, you know, various sports, it isn't necessarily the better defensive team that's, that's going to win every time. It's actually, it's actually really close to 50-50. But, um, you know, that's another thing. We're just, you know, coaches say it, and Michael Jordan said it, so it's got to be true. But nobody had actually really gone back and done the math, and it turns out that, you know, yeah, having a good defense helps, but no more than having good offense. All right, John Wartime, he's the co-author of the forthcoming book, Scorecasting. You can pre-order your copy today, scorecasting.com. Bookstores everywhere, January 25th. Great read. It's going to change the way you look at sports for sure. John Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Anytime. Thanks. Pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. 
I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, Miami Heat player LeBron James's Spring Hill Productions and Believe Entertainment Group this week announced they're going to launch a new web-based animated series titled The LeBrons. The show is going to appear on its own YouTube channel. It's going to be syndicated on other websites via digital broadcasting group. Characters in the show are going to wear Nike Young Athlete shoes and apparel. A portion of the proceeds will be used to purchase HP computers to be donated to the Boys and Girls Club of America. James says, I'm mostly a kid at heart. And I'm the athlete, of course, but I also have a business side, a cool side, and I love antique stuff and classical music. I guess that's the old man side of me. Griggs, <laughs> the LeBrons. Wow. Coming to a, a computer near you. What that, do you think? That is, uh, first of all, how does the guy have so much time? I mean, the stuff he's involved in, all this different stuff, crazy, but the quote, the quote is so LeBron. The old man in me. <laughs> I love it. It just, you know, it's weird because you've got this guy who's become a villain, but then he's doing something here trying to appeal to kids. Look, I think from a business standpoint, it's brilliant because this is where it's at. Animated series, psh, they're doing really well right now. He's smart to turn the LeBrons into an animated series. So the people doing business for him, smart move. Uh, Nike, great to be a part of it. Good exposure for them. And, you know, nice for the Boys and Girls Club to get something out of it. That's what I was going to say. It's it's uh, he's trying. It's kind of like the Michael Vick, you know, get back in the community, get back in the right way, maybe take some of that villain off. But I still think there's a lot of people that look at this and, like you said, hey, LeBron, keep your eye on the ball. Why don't you win a championship, win a ring, <laughs> and then you can go do your animated series and other fun things after you've uh, won a championship or two. All right, lots of thank yous on this show this week. John Wartime, the co-author of Scorecasting, The Hidden Influences Behind How Sports Are Played and Games Are Won. Great book. Pick it up, scorecasting.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Kalkoff Bikes, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page, look for the iTunes icon. I'm on Twitter, at SB Radio. We're on Facebook, look for that icon on our homepage as well. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.